Hello, all my friends and everyone interested in this ancient text called the Bible. We're continuing to press in and through the book of Romans, chapters 4 and 5 today. Last time, Paul really established that right believing is the most important thing. And then there's this question like, yeah, but what is my behavior? What is my life supposed to look like? Does it just believe and then that's it? That's where it ends? Paul's going to unpack that actually that there is actually something for us to be engaging in work for us to do, but it still has to start with what we believe about God ourselves and the ultimate realities of the universe. Paul is going to start there again as he leads us into how desperately we need to believe the right things if we're going to behave, live, and do the things that God has in store for us. The Bible's about to get very real. We might get a little bit colorful, so buckle up and welcome to Dumb Christian. So Paul laid the groundwork to say, look, it's not about your behavior that determines your relationship with God. It's just about what you believe in Jesus. And he's going to continue this theme about right believing in Jesus as he segues into and kind of slowly peels back the layers about how this is going to affect the way we live our lives. And and at least for me, like even just going through this and understanding how I should approach the podcast and, and life in general, man, this has been an eye-opener for me. But he, he kind of shifts. Earlier he spoke about, he kind of touched on briefly Abraham and David. And then here he really starts to unpack and he says, okay, if we're going to look at the way we live our lives, the actions that we take, the decisions that we make, the, the, the behaviors that we embrace, let's go back and let's take some time to unpack Abraham and David. And he looks at Abraham and he says, look, you guys, Abraham didn't behave perfectly gasp, right? And because that's blasphemy in like the Jewish culture and the heritage. Abraham is the father. He He's the founder of the Israelite faith, the Jewish religion. How dare you speak against his character? But Paul says, well, I mean, we can look. He lied. He had, uh, you know, had sex with someone who wasn't his wife, right? Like there are some things we can look even in the Bible and he points them out and he says, look, he didn't behave perfectly and righteously. Even the Bible, which all they had at that point was our old Testament was their whole Bible. And, um, he's specifically referring to, Hey, go look into the scriptures, specifically the Torah, which was God's law, really how God kind of laid the foundations of what he wanted from his people, the nation, the Jewish nation, well, the Israelite nation at that point. And he says, look, this is what I want you to understand about the father of this, of your faith in Yahweh is that even the scriptures, the Torah says he was righteous only because of his faith, because of his belief that God was faithful and true and that God was going to keep his promises and that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. It was faith that made him righteous, not his behavior or ability to act a certain way. And then he goes over and he switches over to King David and he says, look at King David. And King David is, is a really, really important figure in the Jewish nation. He's the king that set 
the example of what they should be looking for, what they long for in a new king as they're waiting for Messiah, God to send his, the one that he promised he would send to save the Jewish nation and the whole world. They're waiting for this king like David to show up. And and you know, a lot of the Jewish people reject Jesus as the Messiah because he didn't look like this warrior king. And so Paul is identifying, hey, don't forget, remember David, the one, the example that we want in our Messiah that we had been taught to look for? Even he screwed up. He couldn't behave. He was actually way worse than Abraham, you know, sleeping with someone else's wife than having that guy killed and, and you know, not trusting God all the time. But even David said, oh, blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven by the Lord. He doesn't say blessed is the man who can perfectly live out his life, but blessed is the man who screws up because everybody does and yet is loved by and forgiven by God. And even today in 2023, there is this thread, this theme of who can we ascribe our lineage to? Who are we related to? to. And and Paul's addressing this mentality in, you know, 2000 years ago in Rome with these Jewish believers. It's not about who you can, uh, you know, tie your bloodline to. It's not about who's in your family tree because people were bragging about how they could be how they were related to Abraham or Moses or a part of the Levitical tribe, you know, the priests or they could tie their lineage back to David. And that's true even today in 2023. Um, there is like a whole new movement going on in the Jewish community today about, hey, can we help you trace your lineage back to these other tribes um, besides just the tribe of Judah, which is where the name Jew or the Jewish people, you know, are from the tribe of Judah, but there were 12 tribes in total. And, and so there's this big push, this big movement. Hey, let's see if we can tie your lineage back to any of these pillars of our faith um, or the tribes that God raised up to be part of the nation of Israel. And Paul is then 2000 years ago trying to say, it's not about the bloodline. Hey, if you're related to Abraham or King David or one of the prophets, like, wow, that's really cool. And, and you can take pride in that. You can enjoy that. But that isn't what saves you. That's not the thing that makes you right with God. The scriptures, the Torah says, the thing that makes you right with God when we're looking at Abraham or later in the Tanakh, which is the whole Old Testament for the, the Jewish people, when they're looking at David or any of the other giants of faith, it's not about were you able to do everything just right, but it's about your heart condition. Paul, who, and think about this. Paul was raised, he said he was a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had the best Jewish education. He was raised in like a religiously elite Jewish family. Like he knew his shit and he wasn't like playing games. He he knew what he was talking about and he's trying to draw their attention. Look, Abraham, David, it was their heart that sought after God, that trusted God, even when they couldn't behave perfectly, when they couldn't be perfectly righteous. It was their heart. And so when God is referring to the descendants of Abraham, Paul wants his readers to know these young Jewish believers it's all about your heart condition towards God. Do you trust God 
to fulfill his promise through the Messiah he said he would send, who saves everyone, and that this Jesus is the Messiah when he says, I save you by faith and grace. It's not by works. It's not by what you can do. Do you trust God the way that Abraham trusted God? Do you trust him the way that David trusted God. And the cool thing is, when God is talking about the descendants of Abraham, Paul elaborates to say, it's open to everyone who can choose, who would choose to believe and trust in God like Abraham and David did. Well, what about circumcision? And he touched on that a little bit last time. Again, If you don't know, it's a little bit graphic, but circumcision is a surgical procedure that cuts off and removes the foreskin from the penis, really leaving it exposed, saying, I trust you, God, with my body, my lineage, my descendants, my kids, my family, right? And he's saying, yeah, that's fine, but it's really ought to be more of a reminder for you because we're not going around flashing the world showing you know, circumcised wing wangs. Hey, look, I belong to the the tribe of Abraham. The, the Those who cut the skin off their ding-dongs, I belong to that tribe. We're not broadcasting that, right? They weren't either back then. But it's, Paul's saying, it's meant, that's meant to be more of like a reminder for you, for your family. Hey, don't forget, we choose to put our faith in and trust God just like Abraham did. But what about the rules, especially the rules where God says, don't intermarry with other nations, with other people groups? Because that was really important. In in fact, the, the Jewish people weren't even allowed to associate, be friends with. You couldn't play Call of Duty with a non Jew. It was really important. This was one of those really strict rules that. Um, throughout the Old Testament, God would actually intervene and say, hey, you guys need to remove this. You guys have intermarried. You have brought this into the community. You need to remove it. And and Paul is imagining this is going to be an argument that these Roman believers are going to bring up, especially because Paul is making room for non-Jews, Gentiles, to be a part of this Jesus movement. Well, but they need to embrace the Jewish heritage. We can't integrate with their old, you know, with a Gentile because the the whole purpose of God setting these parameters for don't intermarry wasn't because he didn't like other people groups and he didn't want them to be a part of the Jewish nation. It was because he didn't want these other belief systems, these other practices, the ways that people would trust in and rely on false gods to interfere and dilute their faith in Yahweh God. And we see that happening as they began to, there were a few times actually, um, the Moabite Ruth, there's a whole book dedicated to her where she married into the Jewish nation. People all the time in the law, there were parameters that said, hey, someone who's not a Jew can intermarry, but here are some parameters and we got to make sure that they assimilate into the Jewish culture, the Israelite culture at that time so that they understand the value, the truth of Yahweh God, and we don't start to dilute our faith in and trust in God with, we trust in God, but we also trust in Moloch. We trust in God, but we're going to worship the God of fish and rain and fertility and all these other things. And and we're not going to fully just rely on Yahweh God only. We're actually going to spread out our faith among the gods. And God says, no, 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 that's not going to fly. 
the faith of Abraham, which is the whole point of how this even started, where we started, was that Abraham fully trusted in Yahweh God alone. And and so when God set these parameters, it's let's not integrate these other methods, these other attitudes, other practices that draw our attention off of God and really, in essence, teach us to not trust in Yahweh God uh, alone. You ever like find yourself getting carried away with a tangential thought and you're like, okay, that that's actually taking us off course a little bit. Let's back up a few steps so that we can get back on track. I think this is kind of what Paul does here when he's like, okay, we're getting carried away. I'm getting a little caught up in this idea of talking about, you know, intermarrying and these other thoughts, which I, I thought was going to be helpful. But now as I say it out loud, it, it, let's backtrack a little bit and and start with the the parameters the boundaries let's just throw those out the window for a second it, it, this i think to to really understand what god has in store for us what it means to live our lives through our faith in jesus to behave in a way that reflects our faith in jesus in god um let's actually just throw out the idea of the law altogether, just for the sake of argument, just, just walk with me for a few seconds. And this is going to be pretty difficult for, especially for the Jewish people, right? Who, you know, that's their heritage is the law. He says, let's pause there for a second, because if there wasn't a law, sure, maybe we wouldn't get in trouble for not behaving the certain, in the right ways, because there's no moral standard, there's no moral code. And so we wouldn't get in trouble for doing what we want to do, but you need to understand there's still this base essential need to trust in God because if we didn't trust in God, we would not be able to do the things he wants us to do. Almost kind of saying, okay, we're getting so focused on whether or not we can behave the right way. We're missing the ultimate goal, the ultimate point of what God is trying to do in our lives. God isn't trying to get us to, you know, look a certain way. As long as you can obey the rules and do everything just perfectly, then you're going to be fine. Paul stops, takes a step back and he says, look, that's not even the point. The point is God has a job for you. God has work for you to do. He has something he wants to accomplish in this world that only he can do through you. He wants you and you alone to accomplish this thing. And even if there weren't laws and boundaries, you would still need to trust in God. Let's go back and look at Abraham because God had given him a promise, a job, a mission. God was going to use Abraham to create an entire nation of people that he would use to bring about the Messiah. But Abraham's like a hundred years old. He can't have kids. He and his wife can't conceive. And God tells him, I'm going to give you kids. I'm going to use you to create a nation that will bless the entire world. He gave Abraham a purpose on this earth that Abraham was unable to accomplish on his own. And and God knows they tried. We know they tried, right? Sarah was like, okay, that sounds great, but 
We can't conceive. Every time we have sex, there's just no, it just doesn't work. So Abraham and Sarah try to do it on their own, try to behave, accomplish God's mission, his purpose, his intention for them. When Sarah says, why don't you have sex? He says, she says to her husband, Abraham, why don't you have sex with our maid? And then if she has a kid, I'll pretend it's mine. And then that's how we can help God accomplish the job he gave for us. And go through Genesis in Dumb Christian. We talked about it. We've explored that and, and read here in Romans chapters four and five, read throughout the New Testament where God wanted to accomplish this on his own. And God did accomplish. God did give Abraham and Sarah their own child by them having sex together and being able to conceive when Abraham was a hundred and Sarah was 90, right? And, and all the ways that they tried to do God's fulfill God's promises and do his work for him. Ultimately, it brought them to the point where they had to realize we can't do it because when Abraham had sex with their maidservant, Hagar, it broke Sarah's heart. It actually caused damage to Abraham's relationship with Sarah. God never wanted that. That wasn't part of the mission that God had for Abraham. Hey, I want you to have kids, but it's also going to really jack up your marriage. And uh, you guys are going to be talking about divorce for the next six months. No, 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 no. That's not what God wants when he calls somebody into a mission for his purpose. And so Paul says, let's just stop looking at the law for a second and realize that even without looking at whether or not we can obey all of God's rules, we still have to trust God, not just for his righteousness, but we have to trust God to give us everything we need to accomplish the job that he has for us in this life. Abraham couldn't do it on his own. Man, we can look at how Moses couldn't do it on his own. He even said, God, I'm not a speaker. I'm timid. I'm shy. I don't know how to public speak. God says, I got you. Look at David, all the ways that he kept screwing up, dropping the ball. God says, you can't do it, but I got you, right? I mean, the prophets, how often did they say, I can't do this, Jonah, right? I can't do this. God says, I got you. And Paul is trying to draw the attention of these young believers who are in a place where they're so focused on their behavior in light of the culture that they live in. And he's saying, just for a second, recognize that's not necessarily the focus, God has work for you. God wants you to spread the news of this gospel, this thing that you guys are starting to be ashamed of because everyone's ridiculing you. God wants you to press into it. And they say, but I don't know how to talk about Jesus. I don't know how to defend my faith. I don't know how to accomplish these things. Paul says, that's really the point is that for us to have faith in Jesus means for us to trust him, not just for our righteousness to make us right with the father, but to be able to accomplish through us the mission, the work, the job that he's given to us. Even in the depravity of Rome. And that's the condition of our faith in Jesus. That's what it's all about. That yes, we trust him to, to cleanse us and, and make us right even when we can't do everything perfectly on our own, but ultimately to to trust that he's going to walk with us and give us everything we need when we're in those situations where, you know, the temple orgy is going on and they're trying to get us to join. And, and, you know, everyone's asking, why aren't you, uh, why are you treating your wife? Like she's your equal. Why are you 
you know, why are you doing these things? And, and instead of being ashamed because I don't know how to respond, be proud. I've got faith in Jesus to get me through this. He is going to give me everything I need. And I'm proud to stand in faith that God is faithful to his promises. He's going to take care of me because Jesus died for me. And then Paul kind of like says, okay, now let's talk about his death a little bit because we need to understand what it is that Jesus actually did on the cross. Would any, he kind of poses this, you know, rhetorical question. Would any of you die for some pretentious dickhead who thinks he's better than you? Because remember, that's the attitude that he's having to address in the church because some of the believers are thinking, well, at least I'm not as bad as that person. I'm better than they are. And he's saying, nobody's going to die for some asshole who just is arrogant and thinks that they're better than everyone else. Maybe you might take a bullet for your best friend. You know, they're not perfect in and of themselves, but they're a good friend. You might take a bullet, jump on a, I'd catch a grenade for you. You know, maybe maybe you would die for a good person in your life. But Jesus... And, and Paul is like giving them some perspective. As you think about all those relationships, all those people that are making it difficult for you to take pride in your faith, Jesus died not for the pretentious, arrogant guy, not just for his best friends, but for everyone who hated and rejected him. For those people who didn't put their trust and faith in God to be righteous, but also the people who rejected God's mission, purpose, and plan for their lives. Jesus, Paul is saying Jesus died for everyone, even those who hate him. And it's this whole new like perspective to these new believers that it's not my job to like try and convince them that they need to believe in Jesus, although that's part of the mission, but it starts from an attitude of, wow, I was also that person that didn't want to have anything to do with God because I rejected his mission, his purpose, his goodness, whatever, even though it didn't look like their rejection, we've all rejected God on some level, right? And Jesus' death gives an opportunity for every person, go back and listen to the last episode, who makes excuses to not follow God's purposes. Jesus' death offers an opportunity for everyone that hated him, rejected him, and says, hey, not based on your ability to do it, all you got to do is be willing to believe that I fix the problem that caused this brokenness, and that I give you everything you need to step back into not just right relationship with the Father, but right relationship with creation, with the job, mission, and purpose that God had for you from the beginning. And and the way that Paul talks here about sin, rejecting God, and elsewhere in the New Testament and, and the other places throughout Scripture— it's this idea that when Jesus died on the cross, he actually, his, his payment, the blood that he shed covers, um, the damage that all sin for all time, past, present, and future, no matter how bad it is, Jesus sacrifice covers all the damage that all sin causes 
to anyone's relationship with God. So that's the old covenant. The old covenant is if you want a good relationship with God, you have to obey the law. But the new covenant is is inaugurated by Jesus' death and resurrection. And I think that there's maybe a little bit of a disservice um, when when G, when the new covenant is taught really as just an old covenant with some changes in it. Yeah, believe in Jesus and you have to behave X, Y, Z. You have to do all these things. Or else if you keep sinning, you know, it causes more damage to your sin or to your relationship with God. Paul's saying, look, everyone has sinned. So what we need to do is we need to just kind of remove that because we're walking in a new covenant. Paul's trying to teach a new covenant, the new covenant Jesus wanted us to live in, wanted everyone to live in. This new covenant is not based on whether or not you are good enough, but based on whether or not you believe Jesus was good enough to pay the price, to take care of that sin problem. So now the new covenant is is posing the question, what do you do with Jesus if you receive and believe that his sacrifice takes care of the sin problem, um, then you walk in right relationship with the Father. Or you can still choose to reject this gift that Jesus is offering on the cross and continue to try and choose for yourself your ultimate greatest destiny. Paul speaks in such a way that kind of lends itself to say, you need to realize that if that's the choice you want to make, like Adam you can follow in Adam's footsteps and and choose your own Adam and Eve's footsteps, choose your own destiny. I think I can choose for myself better than God can choose for me. It will always take you to a place that is broken and and the best eternal destiny you can create for yourself is limited to how broken each of us are. And and Paul's trying to get across the point that Nobody really fully grasps the damage that sin has caused to our relationship with God. And if we want to try and create our own eternal destiny on our own, we are in for a rude awakening. You can either follow in Adam and Eve's footsteps, or you can follow in the footsteps of Jesus, who not just makes us righteous with the Father, but equips us and restores us to that right mission, purpose, and job in creation. And that is a real basic snapshot of Romans chapters four and five. And uh, we're going to keep digging in because he's actually going to shift into that job, that role, that mission, and what it looks like for God to choose who gets to do what role next time. I love you guys. I'll catch you later. Romans is getting hairy and uh, maybe a little bit confusing. We're actually going to have to explore some fairly difficult and divisive topics in the next upcoming chapters. So stick around, be sure to tune in, check us out on YouTube, dumb Christian podcast. We've got some thoughts and exclusive content on YouTube. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think, what you'd like to study after Romans and uh, ring the bell. So, you know, so that you know, when new content drops, share this with your friends, please your family. Let's not go on this journey alone and, and let's explore the Bible together. I love you guys. I'll catch you later.